Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Harp Song for a Radical, The Life and Times of Eugene Victor Dents, by Marguerite Young. And we are on page 163, chapter 42. And we got another, like, medium-length chapter for this book. And coming back from Attica... Is it Utica or Attica? Utica. Utica. It's got to be Utica, I think. To New York, Brother Vitling might have seemed to be taking the road away from his quest for the earthly paradise, which had led him into the wilderness where he had hoped to find or found a land that, like that described in a third-century Greek philosopher's utopian dream, would be a land of such plenty that the oat cakes and wheat cakes would do battle with each other to see which could get first into voracious mouths. The happy couple, who were bound in that wedlock, which some people call bedrock, had returned to the tailoring shop where he, with his key, had opened the door to the treasure box of his wife's womb at the same time that he continued with his work upon the philanthropic universal language that sounded much like babbling baby tongues, as well it should, for there would be added to their household the mouths of his children, whom the father, mother and the father had to feed, their number to increase until there were five sons and one daughter. Besides babblings and cryings of baby tongues, there were purrings of cat's tongues, cat's tails, and cat's eyes, casting their reflections upon the white plastered wall, which was streaked with firelight and shadows, and would be increasingly hung with star maps as time went forward in an objective sense, if not in a subjective sense. There were litters of flower-faced kittens who had to be fed crumbs and milk. Look. Hey. Smoke. If you can't behave, you're out of here. If the old mother cat in her basket had ever happened to give birth to a litter of kittens at the same time one of Vitling's sons was being born, it could have been remembered by him that he had been conceived in a church which had been used by animals and that, according to Catholic mythologies, which would always cling to his mind, there had been a cat giving birth to a litter of kittens at the same time that the Virgin Mary was in the hay giving birth to the Son of Man. There were also the singings of birds. For Vitling's pets were canaries hanging in their cages from the ceiling, all singing in harmony with the purring cats and the baby tongues and the tongue-necked old rooster and the clucking hens, who would soon find their way to the iron pot for broth or baby soup. Once this good German father, who seemed to be living in a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale world, with his cats and his birds and his little babies, had come upon a group of rag muffins who, in imitation of the city fathers, with their cruelty dispensing itself alike to tramps and mad dogs, were beating to death with sticks and stones an old dog corn in a blind alley. The blood spouting from his eyes, an ear hanging by a thread, a broken paw, one of his joints broken, legs broken, his had been a lonely bark, probably the only bark left in him. Vitling had reached down into his pocket, which had few spare coins, few spare dimes, and had given the savage street boys the one thin dime that would have been theirs if they had turned the dead dog over to the dustman who, with his old grey horse and old grey dust wagon, came diurnally to carry away the bodies of dead cats, dead dogs, dead tramps, to what should have been their final resting place. Vitling carried the bleeding tramp dog home for Mrs. Vitling, who combined her nursing arts with those of a seamstress and tailor's aid to nurse back to health, clean the dust and sand and grit out of the inflamed eyeballs and many wounds, and place upon them a healing balm, stitched back into place a torn ear which had been hanging like an old cocoon upon a few silken cobwebs, no butterflies in it, mend the wounded paw and tailbone, 
put the broken limbs into splints just as she also mended the wounded, often splintered ego of her husband when possible, and when not possible, waited for it to mend itself. <laughs> that is very true. I, that's a, I like that. That's really good. All right, look, look, listen. You came in here to be a nuisance when I clearly asked you not to be so. Go, go keep your brother company. I swear, you're the only one who's nice and will lay down. Yes. I knew it was too soon. I knew they weren't. They were just waking up from a nap, not laying down for one. He had named the mongrel, who was made of a variety of mixtures such as man himself might be in the view of anti-socialists, if such mad-dog anarchists and the clown Wilhelm Bentling took over, by no ordinary name befitting a broken mug, but by the French name Philo, Philo, Philou, and the patch dog that was to become the family pet of whom it was never to be recorded, that while chasing a shadow or a spot of light upon a wall, he inadvertently got into one of Vitling's neatly kept pigeonhole file cases and put into his maw a part of his astronomical star roll on which his master was measuring the dimensions of the universe. The children were taught to keep their blue bowls turned upward toward the sky, for the ones who kept their blue bowls downward would not get enough mana to keep a dog or a bird alive. The children were generous sharers with each other until they were reduced to little bags of bones, hardly worth enough for the great harvester to send to the mill for grinding. Even although there were times when there were so few coins in the coin box that their father did not know where the next meal was coming from, nor how he should pay the high rent for his tailoring quarters, and this perpetual state, which was near bankruptcy, was not because of his dumb, dunce-headed inability to earn a living as a tailor, but because of his sacrifice of his time to tailoring a new map of the stars. His wife had not been blindfolded when she married him. She had understood his psychological and cosmic goals, and from the very beginning of their marriage had helped to pay the piper's bill by punching buttonholes by hand and also eyelids. At the suggestion, at the suggestion of his, this loving spouse, whose fingers bled as he bled all over from, a many darts, from as many darts shot all over him as if he had been in a battle with porcupines, he had worked with infinite patience to design an idea for a machine of which he had had the conception long in his mind, and that was a buttonhole machine for stitching of edges and buttonholes and eyelets, and for crimping ribbons and silk and satin cloths and clouds of chiffon for fancy dress balls and regulating the tensions of, tension of threads. He had worked on his intricate design for the automatic buttonhole machine, possibly by fits and starts, at the same time that he had worked on the universal baby language, which had awakened again his idea of a new cosmo cosmography that to which he, after long wanderings, had returned with a particular interest with the birth of his first son. His wife and her younger sister, Joanna, who was not quite half the elder sister's age, had come to assist her through the, her first moon waxing and would stay on through other moon waxings, had helped to punch and embroider eyelets by hand in such filming material that it was something like the ectoplasm that had first been touched upon by star needles when this world was first cut out and tailored by whatever creative force there had been and still might be until the end of time. Bitling's first son had been given by the father the first name William and the second name Wagansky, after the Chinese revolutionary leader whose patterns were reforms he believed to be more like his own, stitch by stitch, line by line, than any others he had ever heard of. But Wagansky had seemed a long name for the little boy, so they had dropped the sky with, out of his name, 
and had called him Wen Gan. Not wishing to be embarrassed by the Chinese name, which caused other school children to ask where his pigtail was, and at a time when the Chinese in America, to whom the father gave his sympathies, were less likely to be great mandarins than poor Chinese coolies, who were likely to have their pigtails set on fire by such anti-yellow mobs as were also persecutors of the blacks and the reds, Wang Gan had cut off the pig's tail even further by reducing his name to the initial W. The elder Vitling's interest in the devising of a new astronomical system was something he had been dallying with since he saw his first comet streaking the heavens like a burning pigtail. He had not been he had not become seriously involved with this proposal for a new star chart, however. It was haphazard it, no, it was hazarded by his brilliantly pinpointing biographer Carl Whitkey until he saw the approaching head of his first son coming out of the mother's womb. His son was to become deeply interested in astronomy himself, although unable to accept his father's somewhat wandering erratic system, which was tinctured by mythologies and theologies, even as Sir Isaac Newton's had been, and was to write several papers on his own vision of the stars, which had been the elder Vitling's hobby horse when Wan Gen was a little child. The second son had been given the name names Gracchus Babouf Robert, but the burden of two special mar but if the burden of two spectral martyrs with whom the father continued to identify in the spectral producing fog caused by his revolutionary ideals was some day to devise himself of these bleeding martyrs by calling himself Bob. He was like a bobtailed horse and no Pegasus. The third son was Tycho Brath Edward, to be known always as Edward, although he was named for the Great Dane, the astronomer, not the dog. The fourth son was Charles Frederick, and the fifth son was Terrajon. After Vitling's own mysterious father, Guillaume Terrajon, whose death or whose disappearance in Les Grandes Niguet de Russe in the senseless Napoleonic invasion was to leave Vitling with the unique. unique it? Why is it? Why is there a T at the end? Unique sense of bastardy that would lead him to search for something royal in his life. So this sounds like, um, so this passage right here really reminds me of the evangelical shoe, shoe maker? Was he a shoe salesman? Shoe salesman, I think. <clears throat> the evangelical shoe salesman in Chicago uh, that Miss McIntosh met with and dated, became engaged to. Um, this really sounds like him. The last of Vitling's children, all gifted, was his one and only daughter, whose name, Caroline Joanna, was the merging of the names of the, her mother and aunt, who had punched and broidered the eyelets and bridal veils for, by their work-worn hands, as they listened to his enlightenment of the ways of the stars and the dark opaque, which had aroused his interest when he began to pursue the meaning of the word astronomy, which he had found in the dictionary while pursuing what should be the structure of the universal babbling baby language, like that which he would hear in the next several years in his home. She would be the head of the first nursing teacher's clinic at Hunter College. Although Vitley was to carry on a lifelong business of bombarding the world's great astronomers with requests for their financial or philanthropic help, and obviously these stargazers who were located in various nations were not members of an astronomer's union, which would be the equivalent of a tailor's union, he could find no help from great scientific heads for the picture of the universe that he gave in his Mechanic of the Heavens, and none to propagandize it. Propagandize. In his waning years, as the flame of his life was starting to sputter and burn low, the building of a machine that he had that he called a mechanical celeste, as it dramatically illustrated to the sensual eyes of men the wheelings of the sun around the wheelings of the earth, 
and showed the sun to be farther away than most astronomers thought it was, but left the mother moon undisturbed, where she had always been or had seemed to be beyond the bare tree boughs, where she seemed caught but was never caught. Unfortunately, he could find no capitalist who, at this time of boom and bust, when many fields were being opened for the making of money, was willing to invest in his marvelous sewing machine eye-punching device, with his capacity for the rapid punching of holes and intricate patterns of roses and lilies and daisies of the field, no one who seemed to see a future in saving the eyes of poor women. Brother Vitling's because labor is always cheap. <laughs> Up until recently, I think, Brother Vitling's claim that the autonomous buttonhole punching embroidery machine was a child of his brain and had been based on his claim that it was an improvement over other attachments that had been placed on the market by rival sewing machine companies, jousting as in a great tournament, which included not only Howe and Singer, but a French father charging around with accusations of infringements on their patent rights for this revolutionary machine, over which there raged a battle as intense, but not so long as the War of Roses, before the dust settled for the last time. As a matter of record, Wilhelm Wittling's application for patent rights was first made in October 1861, along with applications for eight other improvements, which five received recognition by the United States Patent Office in Washington. It cost him more money than he had in his treasury box. It certainly took more money to press a lawsuit against infringements of Wittling's patent rights by one or a combination of thieves such as Howe and Singer then to press straw into a poke bonnet or press a pair of pants. And all this at a time when the virulent rumor was being spread by some of the fleece carrions that he, with his fortune and royalties for his mechanical buttonhole puncher and embroider of reeds and roses and swans, paid to him by Howe and Singer and other sewing machine heads, was living royally, was living as high on the hog as a Wall Street broker, king of tailors. But as a matter of fact, he and his heirs, to whom would be left a last estate, mainly made of his utopian sewing machine and star maps, had received not pecuniary reward as had the devisers of the great Gatling gun and the international harvester, or as it was sometimes called, ghostly reaper. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Bye.